We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's ListenerQ.com slash pull up. Having a dream is important. We all have dreams and aspirations to becoming something. And I'm at the point where I want kids to realize that if I can do this stuff, you can. So I think that's what Dream Center means to me is that anything you believe or think of is possible. To be a Division I athlete, I think the first thing you got to be a good enough student. To play at a Division I school, you got to qualify to be able to even accept the scholarship, even if they get offered to you. So I think just work at your game. For me, having a, a good GPA and a good ACT score, I was able to get a good education. And being able to be disciplined enough to do your homework, study, prepare, that's the key. And then working on your game as much as possible. Welcome to the Quarter Century episode of Pull Up. CJ McCollum here as always. Jordan Schultz joining us fresh off a flight. Looks clean. Dame's here as well. Fresh out of a meeting with his financial advisor going over the funds for the future. I appreciate you guys coming out. For those that aren't here, we're actually at the Boys and Girls Club, the Rockwood Boys and Girls Club of uh, Portland Metro. Just launched the CJ McCollum Dream Center number two. Kids are in the building, staff's in the building, so this is a, this is a great moment and uh, I really do appreciate you coming on last sure, bro. Well, last couple weeks' notice. Uh, kids are excited to see you, man. We got a great conversation ahead, I'm sure, and just kind of want to welcome you in first and foremost, and then talk about your summer so far. We got to start with the video you released uh, recently. Uh, social media is an amazing tool, but at times it can be the devil. And people can comment, people can say certain things, and a lot of comments about your work throughout the summer and you responded with uh, an awesome video. You want to talk a little bit about the video that you put out? Uh, I mean, first of all, just like you said, having a social media, it can be good and it can be bad, um, just depending on how you use it. And I've been on both sides. And I think in this situation, is it shows my growth as a person and um, how I've learned how to use it to my advantage. But um, I had somebody on Twitter tell me, you know, Dame hasn't been in the gym because he hasn't been to an open run in New York or L.A. And we haven't seen no workouts because I choose to keep it private. I mean, I just I do what I do. I know what works for me. Um, you know, doing what everybody else does isn't what it's not who I am. So um, usually what I do is try to poke some fun at him, you know, try to find something clever and find something funny and. Um, my way of reacting to that, or I, I guess getting back at him, was to to make a funny video, you know, where something that I think is foolish or something that I find funny that I see in workouts where I'm like, why are they doing this? You know, what's the point of that? Um, so I had a tennis racket, and I was, like, dribbling the ball, playing tennis at the same time, and they had a Nerf gun shooting it at me while I was doing ball handling. Um I was blindfolded on one of them. I had a cape on, a mask on. It was just like, um, just things that people latch on to, stuff that they think is um, cool and they think is popular. So they think that's what everybody should do. And I'm more, I'm more into doing, you know, what I like to do, um, things that, that work for me. And that's, 
the culture of posting workout videos and all that stuff is just not what I do. It's not who I am. And I've been successful um, doing things a certain way, and that's what I stick to. So I, I kind of made, made fun of, you know, I guess what people come at me on Twitter about um, what I should do. So I just kind of, you know, had a little bit of fun with it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a great video. Uh, it, it received, uh, it was well received across the United States and the world, essentially, Sports Center, ESPN, everybody picking it up. And it just shows uh, the human personality that you have and, and how it comes out. We got to talk NFL. My Browns are struggling. Your Raiders are really struggling. I say really because they're 0 and 2. And my Cleveland Browns are 0 1 and 1 with two very, very close games. Khalil Mack was traded for a couple picks. Probably, I like to say he was traded for like an 18-year-old and some bubble gum. And <laughs> he dominates in his first game. Your head coach is making over $100 million. David Carr is making over $100 million. I never count people's money, but I think that you guys should have kept him. And if you weren't going to keep him, the Browns should have went and got him. But talk to me about your Raiders, where they're at, and what you'd like to see from them moving forward. First of all, you don't get credit for a tie. So... <laughs> Y'all are just as good as being 0-2 just like us. Um, but, I mean, I mean, Khalil Mack is, you know, arguably the best defensive player in the league. And as a fan and, you know, as a business person or somebody in charge or, or managing the team, I think you got your quarterback, um, uh, Derek Carr, and then, you know, you got somebody who was drafted the same year as him on the defensive side that, has been to multiple Pro Bowls, um, has been the one, the best defensive player on your team for, for four years now, um, and you, you don't want to pay the price um, for the, the product that you're getting on the field, and he goes to another team in the first game. He shows you why, and we come out struggling. You know, I think it's, it's not only a, um, a blow to our team just losing um, our best defensive player, but I think when his teammates look around, it's like that comfort is gone. You know, you know that a player at that level is not on your team no more, and now somebody has to step in and fill those shoes. So it's like it changes your team. You know, I know it's just one person, but when somebody has to go, um, you know, it changes a, a lot of things. And um, I think our, our team is hurt because of that. You know, I think it's going to play a huge role in uh, the amount of success we have in this during the season. Dame, can you speak to the – the message, though, it sends now to other players when coaching staff and ownership says, you know what, we're not going to pay our best player and the, really the pillar of our organization. What, what message does that now send to the other guys who are left there wondering what to do next? I mean, I think it, it sends the player into a business mindset because the way we look at it, I come to work every day and I'm like, me and CJ friends, we talk every day. I like playing with them. And I want to be here. I enjoy playing for this team. And you thinking with your heart, you know, this is what I enjoy. This is what I love to do. You know, I love coming here every day. And they're thinking, well, you want our best players and we love having you on the team, but we don't really want to pay you this money. Um, so the level that he's on, there's going to be teams out there that's going to take him and they're going to pay him the money and maybe more. The Bears paid him. A lot more money than most ever, yeah. ever than the Raiders would have paid him anyway or what he would have taken from the Raiders. So I think it'll force players to, to think like business. 
you know, I, of course I want to be here, but I got to do what's best for me. And um, I think it's kind of, at this point, athletes are looked at and they say, well, he's not loyal. This guy should have did that. He should have did this. And we don't think about the business side of it and how um, athletes are affected by business decisions. So I think what will happen is you'll see a lot more athletes starting to approach it like business. You know, they'll have the the relationships with their teammates and the passion will be the same as far as competition. But when it comes to contract situations and um, money and stuff like that, they'll approach it like business. You know, it's not going to be like, yeah, well, I've been here eight years or none of that. Not, everything is out the door because I know what you're going to do when it's business. So, yeah, see, that's a great point by Dame. We've talked about that a lot, the business side of it. And that I, I wonder for you and Damien, was there ever a point where you realized that you're, this is a business? Like, at what point did that hit you when you realized it was way bigger than just, I'm here in Portland? Like, anything can happen and any player can be traded. I think for me, it's when the trade deadline comes and they push practice back. They change the time of practice, which means somebody's probably getting traded. They don't want you getting hurt in practice. And you normally practice at 11, they push it to noon because noon is the deadline on the East Coast. It's 3 Eastern or whatever the case may be. And then someone actually gets traded, and the way it happens, the way it goes is they take the name tag out. It's a trash bag there, and he's putting his stuff in a trash bag, and it's boxes, and a new name tag's coming in. It's like, that's it. It's like, wow, the homie, the homie is gone, and I don't know when I'm going to see him again because he might have got traded to an East Coast team. So that's the, that's the tough part of it because you, d- you develop relationships with everybody, your friends, and then you understand that everybody got to do what's best for them. The organization has to do what's best for the organization, and, and that's when the business side comes out. Buffalo Bills, Vontae Davis, and this is, this is DV's homie, so this is one of our guys. He reportedly retired at halftime of a game. We have to, we have to discuss this. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on a player? I think another player has done this before, by the way. Another Buffalo Bills quarterback, I think, has left the game at halftime. It was reported on Twitter. I don't know if it's true or not. And Twitter, he retired? He said he was going to retire, and then he ended up playing again. But he did quit mid-game, went home. How do you explain something like this to where uh, there's a lot of arguments that say he should have just sat on the sideline, finished the game, and then retired? And then there's a lot of Instagram, you know, remakes of him actually leaving the game where it's pretty funny. Uh, I think Buddy Buddy did one on Instagram where he basically he said, <laughs> he said I'm not risking uh, CTE for this anymore. I got in the car and left. How do you explain something that happens like this? I've never seen a guy quit mid-game. I mean, I, I don't think you can explain it, but from what I read um, off of his comments, what he said about it when they asked him about it, and he said, you know, I was, I was out there in the first half, and, you know, I kept telling people I don't feel like myself. And I noticed that I lost a step, and I felt like, you know, I don't have it no more, and I don't want to stretch my career out because I'm trying to have this warrior mentality. Um, and that not be what's best for me instead of realizing, look, I'm done. I don't have the same step. I'm not the same player I was before. And, I, you know, I'm done. And some people might say, well, you quit on your team at halftime. You should at least finish the game, finish your career the right way. But nobody can tell him how he feels about it because we've been – I'm 28 years old, and since I was six years old, I've been working out, playing for this team going to camps. So 22 years of my life has been 
committed to this game. So when I turn 35 and I'm out there and I'm like, man, this 22-year-old is killing me. And I I lost a step. I don't have it no more. It's like that's emotional. You Nobody can tell you what kind of emotions go through your body and how it makes you feel and where you go mentally when you got to address that, when you got to really look at yourself in the mirror and say, like, I'm not what I once was. I think so many emotions go through your body that it might cause you to walk off the field and at halftime, you're just like, I'm done. Like, I can't, it can take you over. So, I mean, you can't judge him for for walking away at halftime. That's That's how he felt and nobody can put themselves in his shoes and know what his life or his experience is. So I think you got to respect it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I didn't read the the statement, but to be able to understand, I think it's it's along the lines of what's best for the team, not playing. Sometimes it's best for the team, especially if you're battling an injury or if it's just a mismatch or you feel like you're not helping the team. So in a sense, if he felt like he was a step slow, he felt like you know he wasn't able to perform at the level he's capable of, he was helping the team because – Playing could could mean he was a liability. But think about that though that, you know, he in a second it was for him it was it was done. I, maybe he had been thinking prior, but that's a five million dollar check that he basically turned down the rest of the year, Vontae Davis. Right. So for him to feel that way and to feel that he needed to leave, he, he I mean he must have really felt like it was over, right? That's how you, I think that's just how you know his real emotions. Yeah. It took him over because. It's not like he was walking off the field saying, I'm going to leave $5 million out here. That's really how he felt. And that's what it took him over. So, like, when your emotions are real like that and you do something like that and people say, oh, he left $5 million out there, that's how you know it's real. And you, you can't put a dollar sign on everybody. Like, he was done, and that's, that's what he decided. That's true. Change the topic a little bit. Papa Dame. You got a JR now. Daddy man. Dame. Daddy Dame, congratulations, man, on the on the, on the young one. Appreciate how does it. it? You guys can clap. It's okay. You guys can clap. Thank you. Thank you. So, how does it feel to be a father? One, two. What's the most rewarding part of being a father? You know, being able to come home with young with young Junior at the house. Uh, I, I mean, it feels great being a father because you. I think about my relationship with my dad and growing up and I can see how much pride he takes in the kind of product that I am. And, you know, I feel the same thing. When people come to my house, I'm like, he rolling over, watch him roll over. And I'm trying to make him do stuff in front of people because I'm just so proud. So it's like, it's a great feeling um, just watching somebody that, you know, that you created, somebody that you made and you're going to have to raise. And the love that you have for him is like, I never thought I could ever love somebody more than my mom. But it's like, this little baby is like everything. It's, you know, it's, it becomes more important than everything. And um, I think the stuff that that I, I really appreciate is like, this past week I, I went home. I had to do a, a neighborhood picnic that I do every year. I was at home for three days. And he came with me. And that like... On Sunday last weekend, he came. He went to. He came back to Portland and then went to Houston with his mom. And I went to China for a few days, and then I went to L.A. worked out for a few days, and then I went to the fight on Saturday in Vegas. And I came back yesterday, and he. They came back yesterday, so I hadn't seen him for a full week. And then I saw him, and he was like doing 
10 different things that he just wasn't doing seven days ago. So just like watching the growth and seeing the personality come out and um, when they recognize you as their parent, you know, they cry with somebody else. And then as soon as they get their hand on your hand, they just they stop. So just the stuff like that, I think so far that for me, that's the best the best thing about being a parent. Yeah, I wonder because I'm I'm a parent too. CJ's not not there yet, but he will be, and we've missing we've, it, missing out. Yeah, he's missing out. You are missing out, but he's I'm, still a young buck. I'm in no rush. But what I was gonna say is like, we identify kids, and then me as a fan, we identify athletes so much from what we see, and that's it, right? And we don't we don't necessarily always see or think about the person behind the athlete. And I think it's wonderful to share that. I wonder for you, Damian, what's, how do you and how will you, moving forward, balance being a father, being at home, and then also wanting to put in the work that you want to do every day? I mean, I, I'll find a way because I, I find a way to get stuff done. But even if I, before I had my son, I, I got a lot of um, strong relationships uh, people in my life that I got really strong relationships with and I've never had uh, trouble finding time to continue to work on those relationships and keep them strong. And I think having a kid is is obviously a much bigger deal than having a best friend and, you know, having those relationships. Like, you're responsible for a human being and raising them and making them the right, be a good person. Um, and the values that you instill in them and stuff like that, um, but I'm not somebody that's always on the move. You know, I do what I need to do. I get things done, and then I'm, I'm in the house. Um, so I'll be around. I think my presence will be everything, obviously, I, with the travel. But when I'm, when I'm home, I think it's, it's important for me to make sure I stay on top of that um, and actually um, give a lot of my time. You've, you and I have talked about that, too, and I think it's important with kids, and I'm guilty of it as well, which is sometimes, at least like for me, I'm on the phone too much. And when you're home, you want to be home. And how do you, Damien too, how do you balance that? You know, because you want to be active on social media, you want to engage with your fans, but you also need your time, especially at home, to be present. Yeah, that's one of the things I struggle with um, daily. I'm, I'm addicted to my phone. I'm addicted to Instagram, Twitter. <laughs> Oh, I've seen Snapchat. it. Snapchat. I'm addicted. So I'm um, just being able to be present is something that I, I strive for and work on. And I'm not there. I'm, not, I'm far from a finished product. But just realizing that there's more important things out there than dribbling a ball, shooting a ball, talking about a basketball, arguing with people on Twitter for no reason, or just searching for no reason. A lot of times we're just searching, searching for an article that's funny, searching for a meme on Instagram, or just kind of out of habit, you know, over the course of our life. It's or you you looking for your phone, but it's in your hand. That's when you know you got a serious problem. Or you're on your phone, and you're like, dang, where is it? So that's that's kind of what I've gone through with just being home, you know, being when you're with your girl, trying not to be on your phone all the time, or just trying to be present because we spend so much time on the road. We spend so much time watching film, making them watch basketball. And, you know, it's just like a... At some point, you got to just be like, okay, I'm going to give you five hours of like, what's up? What are we doing? We're going to watch Netflix. We're going to go to the dinner. We're going to go to dinner, whatever, to where you got to remove yourself from your day-to-day life because you can get drained from just being only involved in one thing. You got to kind of diversify your lifestyle. Same. Um, 
I can't function without my phone. It's like, I take my phone everywhere. Like When I'm about to get in the shower, I walk up to the shower and when I open up the shower door, I'm like stepping in the shower and then I sit my phone down like as the water is hitting me. I'm sitting the phone down. So it's like, and that is not a joke. Like it's really that bad. I'm just like always on the phone. It's like an appendix almost. Like it's, it's just there. It's just like I'm just always going from this to that. Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, check my text, text some, text a few people back. Then it's like, I'm just going back and forth, back and forth. And I look up and it'll be like three hours went by. <laughs> and I'm just like, man, this is bad. People tell me all the time, I'll sit right in front of you. We'll be having a conversation. I check my phone and they'll keep talking and I just <laughs> won't respond. Yeah, he does that often. <laughs> We you don't. You don't do that to he'll, me. I do he'll tell me he'll be like good talk all the time. I'll like, tell you good talk, but I'll have a full oh, conversation talk. with him, and he'll be like, "What'd you say?" <laughs> we went to dinner in Vegas. He's like I just got engaged, Dane. <laughs> Not yet. We, hey, we, went, bad. To, we went to bad. dinner in Vegas with like five or six people. Me, him, Jr. And we were at dinner. We're eating dinner, right? There were six people at the table. I'm number seven. We're eating. I eat my food. I get up from the table, I take five steps back, and I record them all texting and not noticing me stand up and walk back. I recorded for like 10 seconds, took pictures, sat back down. They're still on their phones, eating. And I send them the picture like, this is a damn shame. <laughs> but he had to be on his phone to do that. Right. Yes. To, yeah. So you were, you were actually, yeah. you were more guilty. Yeah. More guilty. I am more guilty. But we have to talk about this upcoming season. Seasons, seasons approaching. Um, we got swept into playoffs. Everybody talks about it. What are you most looking forward to for the upcoming season? You said that you had some things you worked on individually that you were going to show this week before training camp. What, what can we look forward to most uh, seeing from you this season? I think the main thing is just improvement. I think over time, you know, once you get year five, six, seven, um, the experience is kicking in. You know, you've played enough minutes, you've played against enough pl- teams and high-level players, and you watched enough film that the game has slowed down. Uh, it's a lot more simple. Uh, you just know how to play the game better. You know how to just navigate the situations that um, you end up in on the court much better. Um, so you, I think you'll just see a an improved player. I, like I said earlier to you, I worked on a lot of things. I added some stuff that can make me a few percent better, you know, just adding something here, add something there, uh, make me more efficient, uh, be able to be more consistent. Um, I, and I think it's, it's going to be a challenge. Like you said, we got swept uh, the last two years in the playoffs. And, you know, it's easy for somebody to say, oh, you got swept and point the finger and talk down and all that. But um, one, one team gets to win every year. Uh, everybody else, you know, you second to last, whatever. You wasn't the championship team. So um, I think the important thing is just to, to keep working. You know, you got to keep working towards being that last team and, um, and keep believing. So um, I think that's what we are as a team. We just got to stay with it. You know, you never, you never know when you're going to turn the corner. You never know uh, when that time is going to come. So um, if you aren't prepared for it or if your mind isn't right, uh, when it comes to you, then it's – you know, it'll pass you by. So um, I think for us this season, we just got to keep putting our time in, keep working, uh, stay together, and just keep believing. I agree. I think you hit it right on the head. We just got to 
figure out ways to to get a little bit better so we're a little bit more efficient with movement, not wasting movement defensively, understanding each year you got a better grip of teams' plays, how people guard you, how you should guard certain people, and how, how to get through an 82-game season. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned going into year six is when to sleep, when to take a nap, when to watch Netflix, when to watch that extra show versus when to not watch that extra show and, and how to consistently figure out ways to stay healthy. Because in this league, if you can stay healthy, then you got an edge on the rest of the competition because everybody's battling some type of injury or fatigue, whether it's a twisted ankle, sprained knee, tendonitis in the elbow. So I think that's been the, the fun part of going through each season is figuring out how to get to 82 games plus some and feel as healthy as possible. One more question before we go to the kids and um, allow them to, to ask us some questions. You're 28 going into year. This is your, uh, this is my sixth, so this is your seventh season. So you, you talked about fatherhood. You talked about traveling, balancing your time. Um, the question I have for you is, how has your outlook on life changed from when you left Weber to now based on your experiences, um, how you train, how you sleep, how you recover, and, and just kind of how you value what's important versus what's not important? I always ask the guests changes in, in their lifestyle, changes in how they think, because how I think now at 26 is completely different than how I thought at 22 or even when I was a rookie in the league. So it's always interesting to kind of see you know, where, where the person is at. Uh, I don't think I I don't think I've changed a whole lot as far as training. Right. I think you know high school, college, especially college. I was always in the gym, working out, then practice shots after practice, cold tub. Um, I did all the things that um, I could to take care of my body and to improve as a player in college. And now that I'm um, in the NBA, I do the same things, but I've, I think I've just gotten better at it. You know, I think I've taken it up a level each year at right. things that I could do better to, to help my body and help my game. So I think that's, that stayed the same. You know, my outlook on, on that hasn't changed. I think it's, you put in the work and you get results. And that goes for taking care of your body and uh, your work on the court. I think where I have changed, and I've never been a selfish person. You know, I grew up with a lot of cousins and we always had to have each other back, share our, our snacks, share our food, um, whatever it was. I, I I learned early to share my stuff and look out for people and, you know, have other people's back, you know, and, and be unselfish. But um, back to my point, I, I think I changed the most in um, the kind of impact that I want to have. At first it was... I want to get drafted. I want to be rookie of the year. I want to have a max contract. I want to buy my mom a house. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I was like, my mentality was kind of selfish because I was just concerned with all the stuff that I wanted to do. And I want to get myself this car. I want to do that. You know, I had a long list of stuff that I wanted to do and it was all pointing at myself. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I've started to um, I guess, get more satisfaction out of the impact that I could have on other people and other things. So um, that's kind of where I started to focus my attention. I know that I'm going to show up early in the morning and work out. I know I'm going to lift after that. I know I'm going to do some conditioning. I know I'm going to do that stuff. But just the impact that I could have on kids and even people my age, just a lot of people who had tough upbringings and people who uh, struggled their entire life, they um, might be 24 before they're willing to listen and learn stuff. So I might be 
the same age as them, but I might be able to teach them something and I might be able to have an impact on them. So I think I've I've really changed in that way to where it's like I'm going to do the stuff that's going to give me my best chance to be successful on the court. I'm going to take care of myself and do all the things that I need to do in that way. But my attention is completely changed and my focus is completely changed to how can I impact as many things as possible? How can I make my camp? How can I impact 600 kids at my basketball camp? How can I go home and have this picnic and provide all these things that could change these kids' lives? How can I go to the Ronald McDonald house and change these families' lives? How can I um, take my level up and being um, a global ambassador for Special Olympics? How can I, you know, all these things that, um, that I care about, how can I impact it even more? Um, so it's not really about myself. My mentality has just changed in um, how I can be of service to other people. How, can I, how could I impact other people? And I think it's been that way because um, I've been so successful, but I look when I go home, you know, it's like my friends haven't been that successful. Not my closest friends have, but like people that I went to high school with haven't been that successful. I got family members who haven't been as successful. So it's like I could be doing so great, but what have I done to give them a chance to be successful? How have I impacted them? What, what was the impetus theme to starting going from I to we and helping others? How, what was the beginning of that process for you? I think that was probably around my third year in the league. My third year in the league, I got a signature shoe with Adidas. Um, I signed my extension with the team, and, like, everything was going great for me. Right. I had just made my second All-Star game. Everything was going great for me, and I was happy, and I wanted to do this, and I wanted to – I had so many things that I wanted to do and enjoy my own success. But then it would be, like, other people that I was always – you know, people from home that I follow on Instagram. I'm looking at the way they look and how their face look. They look stressed and – I'm looking at their clothes and I'm, you know, not that that is like material, but I'm just looking at how they look and um, the the captions on their pictures. You know, I can tell it's a struggle. So when I was like, man, I'm I'm just so I'm being I'm consumed with what's happening with me and how good I'm doing. And I'm on to the next thing. And I and there's so many other people that I don't want to say taken away from that, but it's taken away from it because I can't enjoy how great I'm doing because people that I love and that I care about, they aren't doing well for themselves. So like at that point I was like, man, you know what? I'm going to continue to do the stuff that's going to allow all of these things to continue to happen for me, but I'm not going to keep pressing for more and more and, 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 you know, caring about it as much as I have. I still care, but I'm going to turn my focus to, impacting other people and doing stuff for other people because it's more fun when, when everybody can can thrive and be successful. See, can you speak to that too? Because we've, to Damien's point, we've had some great athletes on the podcast who have said similar things. Maybe it took them longer, but it's like they're making all this money. They're doing great. They're, everything that's supposed to happen is happening, but there is some kind of emptiness or a feeling of they, they can do more, they should do more. So for you... How, how does that play out? Yeah, I think it happens to all athletes and not just athletes, but people in general who 
you make goals. We all make goals. I had a Maserati on my door in college, right. in college right. dorm, and I would walk out and touch it every day and say, I'm going to have that Maserati. And that was my motivation because I was driven by material things. Material things drove me to be successful. I want to buy my mom a house. I don't want my mom and dad to work no more. I want to make sure that the next generation is good. So that was my motivation. It was like when I didn't feel like shooting, I was like, you want that Maserati or not? And that would be, all right, let's go to the gym. That's kind of how I approached everything. Then there comes a time where, as Dame said, you make your checklist and you start checking stuff off. And then you have to find a different motivation because it's not money, you already have it. It's not cars, you already have them. Your mom already has a house, your dad has a house. Everybody doesn't have to work if they don't want to. So then you find your real motivation and that's when you find your purpose. And I think it takes time to, to get mature enough to realize that. And then you also go through buying things that you don't need and realizing that like you hear the story, money doesn't make you happy. It's true. Money doesn't provide you happiness, but it allows you to make those around you happy. It allows you to do things that make you happy. And I think that we all have that emptiness at times because you have a lot of money, you have a lot of power, but you don't know how to use it. And then once you figure out how to use it, how to empower others, how to you know, provide for maybe it's kids in the neighborhood, maybe it's working with the Boys and Girls Club, maybe it's working with the Special Olympics, that brings me more joy than the 1st and the 15th because... That's consistently coming. You don't know how you can impact a kid's life and how that'll change the trajectory of their life. Like I, I remember the impact Eric Snow had on my life when, when he brought AI to camp. I loved Allen Iverson. So when I got to see him, I realized that, okay, he's a normal six foot, he's skinny. If he can make it to the league, I can make it. You know what I mean? It kind of, it makes you think that your goals are achievable once you see someone who looks like you, comes from places like you, make it, and then they come back and help you make it. So I think that's when I got to that point when as KD said, as other players have said it, Michael Bennett talked about it, you have money, but it's like, if there's nobody to share it with, like, what's the point? Like, you need a significant other, and then you need things that you care about because otherwise you just, you just have that emptiness inside. So I think it takes time, but that's kind of you know, where I'm at and where I've gotten to. So that's your evolution in terms of adapting as a person right. and growing. That right. is, is helping others and feeling like you, you're using your platform to make a significant difference. Exactly, and that's why we're looking at the C.J. McCollum Dream Center because hopefully a kid that's interested in journalism that wants to learn more about it, or maybe they're not interested in it at all, and then they, they try something, they do something, they learn something, and they become something that they like, and that gives them a chance to have an advantage on some of the next kids. But you guys are looking sleepy, so we're going to get to some questions from you guys. This is your chance to ask us anything you want to talk about, anything you want to ask about our lives, sports, not sports, TV shows on Netflix, cartoons, whatever the case may be. I have a question. How do you like your 2K rating? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't really I don't really trip on it, to be honest with you. I think it's um, it's cool. There's a lot of people who who have lower rankings. Um, I think it's only like seven players with a higher ranking. So, I mean, I, I feel like it could be higher, but I mean, it's just a video game. And then you like the Raiders. I'm done. <laughs> who you? Who your team? Who your team? Ravens. You don't even got a team. He said Ravens. He said the Ravens. The Ravens. Ravens. We're definitely beating the Browns. That's we'll see. We'll see. We can bet some push-ups on that. We can bet some push-ups on that. You can get. Strong. I ain't got nothing bad to say, man. You ain't got to eyeball me, man. <laughs> Y'all better than us. This question is for Mister McCollum. McCollum. Sorry. What does the name Dream Center mean to you? That's a good question. I think to me, Dream Center just means being able to have a dream, being able to uh, aspire for a dream, being able to achieve a dream. And 
Um, it took a lot of thought in trying to figure out what I wanted to name them when I started a year ago, mm-hmm. building the first Dream Center at the Boys and Girls Club on MLK. And we, we, we played with words, we played with graphics. And to me, I think having a dream is important. We all have dreams and aspirations to becoming something. And I think you know having this platform, I achieved my dream, right? Mm-hmm. I was able to become an NBA player, make it to the NBA. I was able to get a degree uh, from a prestigious university. So I'm achieving dreams. And now I'm at the point where I want kids to realize that if I can do this stuff, you can. So I think that's what Dream Center means to me is that anything you believe or think of is possible. You can speak. I think you can speak good karma into existence. You can speak success into existence if you back it with work. So I'm trying to put you on a position where you have the resources, the tools to be whatever you want to be. So this is for both of you. Who lines up your guys' hair? <laughs> who line up? Who line up your hair? Tay, Tay, cut that. I got cut. This cut is I did. I went to Vince in L.A., so it just depends on where I'm at. I go to Vince in L.A. I go to Reggae in New York, and then I go to Tay when I'm in Portland. So I I, I travel a lot. <laughs> I be you must know a barber. That's what you was gonna say next. You know mm, yeah. a barber? Yeah. She um, plug in. I see you. That's I respect that. Um. So my actual question, why I really came up here, was why did you pick the Boys and Girls Club to build Dream Centers in? That's a good question. Uh, I think just the relationship I had as a kid, you know, going to rec centers, uh, we call it the Boys Club, uh, when I was a kid in Canton, Ohio, and just that impact that had on my life, being able to be dropped off. Um, <laughs> there was girls there, too. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> a boys and girls I was a kid, club. <laughs> bro. I was a kid. <laughs> I was a kid, bro. So I think the impact it had on my life, just being able to have a safe space like at, from eight my mom would drop me off at 8 a.m and she wasn't coming to get me until later in the day and i had a lot of time on my hands to play ping pong to shoot baskets to play pool interact play games we went swimming we were able to do so many different things to where if i was at home i don't know what i would have been doing you know what i'm saying so just being able to be exposed to that environment where you have good instruction good teachers around you good good people who care and then it really opened my eyes when i went back my freshman year in college and I worked at the Urban League in my hometown and I, and I was with the kids. So I had to be a kid and then I got to work with them, take them swimming. We went to Broadway plays. We did stuff like that. And I seen how much they enjoyed it and it reminded me of my youth. And that's when I thought, if I do it with anybody, I'm gonna do it with someone I trust. And I trust the Boys and Girls Club. Thank you. Yep. So I have a question for both of you. Do you guys have like a hot spot and where is it? Where's you guys' hot spot? Hot spots? Yeah. <laughs> A hot spot like internet hot spot? No. <laughs> For the court. Like a club? play basketball. Oh. Oh, I thought you were talking about a club. I was like, how old are you? <laughs> talking about the hot, the hot spots. Sp- <laughs> he said a hot spot like where we I thought he was talking about the club. He's talking I about thought. where we hoop at. Yeah. I'm like, you trying to go to the bar? You're like 12. I'm 13. 13, <laughs> man. 13, my bad. We play pickup sometimes, but usually they like... They'll organize the run based off of when we in town. So I think it's just different places. I ain't, I don't know of any like specific places where they just hoop at. I'm sure at like a 24-hour fitness, they probably play every day, though. Yeah. If you're looking for some runs, 24-hour fitness. Oh, you're talking about hot spot. Oh, sorry. Oh. We overthought this. Thought a little too hard. <laughs> hot spot. That was a great question, actually. We, we played ourselves. Where you like? Left wing? Left wing. That's my spot. Left wing. See, I got to know that. See that? For me, I like the elbows. It's closer. It's closer, and I feel like I can get it off. Step backs or hezzies, whatever. So 
either elbow, like that mid range, like I don't know, twelve to eighteen feet. Yeah, the, the, not the elbows, the the elbow. <laughs> Did you do elbow? <laughs> I have a question for both of y'all. No, it was. The... And uh, if you're a hooper, like, what do you um, what do you what should you do to like um, be able to get like in a D one college? Education is the the key to all of this. So I think for me, having a, a good GPA and a good ACT score, I was able to get into a school like Lehigh to where maybe the caliber of player wasn't as high in terms of the talent. It wasn't as, you know, the, the quality of talent wasn't as good as a Duke or North Carolina, but I was able to get a good education. And I was a good enough player to where my grades were just good enough to get in. So I think education is the key. Being able to be disciplined enough to do your homework, study, prepare, uh, always do your homework before you go hoop or before you go do those things. I think that's the key. And then working on your game as much as possible. That would be my advice. Yeah. Why y'all give me this death staring here today, man? <laughs> You're the second one. I think to be a Division One athlete, I think the first thing you got to be a good enough student because if you if you don't – to play at a Division One school, you got to qualify right. to be able to even accept a scholarship, even if it get offered to you. So, be a good enough student, and um, I think just work at work at your game. Obviously, you got to play for a team that's that's going to put you in position to play in front of um, coaches and, and schools. But I think being a good student and just working, you know, if you want a team, if you're really a, a athlete or you're really a basketball player, it's going to show. You know, they'll come find you. It, it took me until I was in the 12th grade when I decided to go to Weber State. And there was people committed in the ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. So it took me a little longer, but I just stayed with it. You know, I never had um, much doubt in, you know, if I was going to get a scholarship or not. Um, but while the entire time that I was waiting for it to happen for me, I didn't stop um, being the kind of student that I needed to be because it just wasn't guaranteed. And... You know, a lot of those qualities is why I was able to get a scholarship. You know, people pay attention to your demeanor, how you talk to your teammates, how you talk to your friends. You know, it's a lot more than just get good grades and be a good athlete. You know, it's, it's a lot of people who do well in school because they're just smart people, but they don't know how to talk to a teacher. They don't know how to behave. They don't know how to, they don't know how to act. And... You know, they might be a good basketball player, but they don't know how to be coached. They don't know how to follow instructions. They don't want to listen. So um, your character matters, too. So I would say the kind of student you are, how much you actually work at being a good player, and then your character. Um, you know, those things count. When you have all three of those, um, it gives you a great chance, but then it also gives you an even better chance to um, move past the people who might be a better athlete than you but then they might be less of a student and they might have much less character than you do. Or they might be just as good of a student and just as good of an athlete, but they're not as coachable. Right. The character isn't as good. And I think I could say that for me and him, we both went to small colleges too. So we got to college and then we had to keep working. We still had to be good students because it wasn't guaranteed that we was going to make it to the NBA. And then we had to be good people because – the NBA is going to call your professors. What kind of student is he? How was he in class? Was he late? Did he show up on time? How often did he miss class? They're going to ask your coaches, how, how is his relationship with his teammates? 
Was he ever late to practice? How hard did he work? So all of those things, you know, when you have all those things, it gives you a much better chance not only to make a team or get a scholarship, but going forward, like, in your life, like, as a professional, even if you're not playing sports, all those things matter. Thank you. I'll just add one thing. Both were fantastic answers. If you're not playing sports, or if you are, either way, your legacy or your success, your path, it's not going to be built in one place. So what I mean by that is, Go to the library. Go to the gym. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to talk to a teacher. Don't be embarrassed to ask because you don't know the answer. You know, I, I think that's something that I know CJ and I have discussed, and I think hopefully you guys can, can learn from that as well, even if you're not playing a sport. Don't be afraid to go to tutoring. Tutoring saved my life. I would have never gotten to Lehigh without them tutors. So <laughs> make sure you all do that, seriously. And don't be afraid to ask for help. I think that's that's great advice. But appreciate you coming on, bro. We, we're around the 45-minute mark. Uh, great conversation. I'll see you tomorrow, 8, 9 a.m. sharp. Ready to get some more wins during pickup. Um, I want to thank the Boys and Girls Club. I want to thank all you guys for coming out and listening. Um, I appreciate you guys. We are not going to do our wine recommendation of the day today because of the circumstances and setting we're in. But um, once again, I thank you guys. I hope you guys are able to utilize the room and continue to learn, grow, and figure out different ways to become successful at this life. There's a lot of different ways you can make it. It doesn't have to be sports. It doesn't have to be holding the mic. It can be the person behind the camera. As they told you, there's a lot of things that goes into producing something. So I appreciate you guys. I'm going to read these ads. You can stay for the ads if you'd like. Let's go. It's time for week three of the NFL Fantasy. And if you haven't signed up for FanDuel yet to play against Jordan and I, it's time to do it. You can find the contest at FanDuel.com backslash pull up. Cash prizes for winners. And if I win, I give everything to charity. Probably the Boys and Girls Club. Also, catch us anywhere you get your pods and also via radio.com. You can get their app or head to app.radio.com backslash CJ for your weekly dose of pull up. And as the saying always goes, don't forget to pull up.